Hello, and welcome to Off the Cuff. I am your host, Chris Martinson, and on this program, every week, we are going to bring you a fascinating guest, where we are going to discuss the economy, energy, or the environment, informally and without a script. Welcome, Mish. Hey, you know, we're looking at the stock markets going up all across the board, even in Europe. And I got to tell you, the macro data that I saw coming out of Europe is is pretty awful. And there have been a couple of departures between the macro data and stock prices in the past. And guess what? Hasn't ended up that well for equity prices in Europe. Hasn't ended up that well for equity prices in the U.S. There's some real macro weakness going on out there. And uh, I guess the conventional wisdom, at least in the people who are buying stocks today, is that we can ignore that. Can we? Uh, well, we've been ignoring it for the last year and a half. Uh, the question is, how long are we going to keep ignoring it? I, I don't know the answer to that, Chris. The Certainly the data in uh, Spain in actually across the board in Europe, but Spain, uh, uh, Italy, and France was horrific. Uh, the and Germany is struggling as well. So the entire eurozone. Let's just face it: the entire eurozone and all these signs of stabilization that uh, they thought they saw earlier this year. And you and I predicted that things weren't stabilizing, except uh, <laughs> to the effect that they're about ready to head back down again. Well, we were right, and they weren't. But you're right. The stock market keeps levitating. Gold got smacked again today. And um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's a very frustrating environment for me when uh, we see this kind of action repeatedly. But... To me, it's just another sign of a bubble, and the bubble I'm talking about here is a bubble in a belief that the Fed and central bankers in general have things under control. I don't believe they have. I think they've masked over the problem, which makes it appear as if they're in control. But what they've done, and Stockman talked about it in his book, and I had an advanced copy. I just hadn't had time to get to it uh, uh, before the conference, perhaps I'll read it on the plane heading to California. But uh, all they've really done is paper these things over and make it appear as if they've got things under control. Chris, let's just face it. When you lower interest rates and pump up the money supply, you can be sure that you know we're going to see some sort of appearance of economic um, activity as a result of that. But the question is, how much of that is malinvestment? Sometimes uh, it's quite obvious, as with the housing bubble, but even though it was obvious during the housing bubble, no one saw it. And I think it's obvious now when you look at junk bonds, when you look at yields of treasuries, when you look at a renewed housing bubble in some cities where people are once again in bidding wars for houses, well, they're missing it again, Chris. You know, I couldn't agree more. If you're going to read that Stockman book on the plane, make sure you bring some tranquilizers and have them serve you plenty of alcohol because it's maddening. It's really maddening. There's stories in there about it's just paper games where these LBOs were going on in one of his larger 
points he makes is that kind of the entire country of the United States has been LBO'd, leverage bought out, leverage buyout is what the LBO stands for. So uh, he, he has all these examples of companies where they were just basically strip mined. It's the oldest LBO story in the world. It's, it's how uh, Mitt Romney made his money over there at Bain Capital, which is go in, lever up a company big time, don't really add anything to it in terms of management talent or, or you know, helping to, to secure anything. What you do is you saddle the company with a huge amount of debt, which is kind of like pointing a loaded gun at the whole company and saying, I guess you got to perform now. And sometimes companies do work extra hard uh, when they're under that sort of pressure. And, and welcome to the world of debt-based money. You know, you will do what you need to do to survive. And, and that's true at the company level as well. So I, what's been driving me a little bit nuts, I've been watching all these people um, come out against Stockman's little, uh, he had a very nice PR burst. He, he got on a lot of places. I, I had a podcast with him uh, that came out on this weekend great guy. And but seeing them arrange the guns against him, one of the things that drives me nuts is that they, they trotted out all these people who said things like, Oh, yeah, he's saying there's a bond bubble, but there's no sign of that. Because uh, if there were, then you would think the bond market would be nervous, but it's not because look at the yields on these things. So the bond market's very, very calm. And, and that drives me nuts, because a high prices are usually a sign of a bubble, not counterfactual signs that there's not a bubble. And second of all, uh, one of the other key ideas around a bubble is that nobody sees it coming, right? That's that's pretty much what you need in order to have a bubble. So uh, I didn't see any really solid refutations of, of his work. It's a lot of ad hominem attacks. Uh, he's a cranky old guy. Uh, oh, he, he did bad things when he was there under Reagan, you know, which was, what is that now, 40 years ago? Um, and... Uh, and so really, I found what he had to say was pretty refreshing. And so he's one of the few people out there right now who's who's actually uh, saying the emperor, well, this is what the emperor isn't wearing. And mm -hmm. I found that refreshing. Uh, well, so do I. Uh, uh, Abby uh, Cohen was on Bloomberg today. She said corporations have too much cash. And I find this particularly humorous in light of the... Um, post on my blog yesterday uh, 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 about how much ca uh, actual cash corporations have on hand, and um, a, the answer is um, negative hundreds of billions of dollars, and Abby Cohen is saying that, that corporations need to be spending the cash. Well, they've levered themselves up in dot. That's the only reason why they have cash, and if you... Uh, add up the cash and subtract the debt they've got, <laughs> there's nothing left but net debt, except for a, a handful of companies. You know, uh, that oh, do, you have, have, do you have the data on that? So in, if, like if we baselined at 2008, take look at the total cash to debt ratio of, of companies in general, but then you cast forward and you say, okay, now they have this much cash in hand, but they incrementally took on this much debt. That was my perception was that debt had grown at least as fast as cash. Are you saying it grew faster? Uh, I'm, I would have to go back and look. I've done a couple of these posts. I've, I first started them about a year and a half ago, so I don't know if I've got any data back further than that. But um, that's an interesting idea. Uh, the guys at Tableau actually, uh, the idea to do this was mine. But the guys at Tableau Software were the ones that actually put the charts together for me. Uh, I'll have them go back to uh, a few years ago and um, do a comparison, <laughs> and we'll 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 see how much uh, debt has grown. 
<laughs> relative to cash. It's an interesting idea. I've not done that before. I don't know the answer, but I suspect you're right. It, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. And um, on the fundamental side, I'm, I'm looking at a chart here that was in the Wall Street Journal. They're tracking negative pre-announcements for earnings on stocks. Mm -hmm. And guess what? We have the highest uh, ratio of negative pre-earnings announcements that we've had in the last... Well, this chart only goes back to 2006. So this negative guidance then is is uh, at standing at a ratio of little over three and a half times. And that's it, it just this bar stands out in, in stark relief to anything else you, you can see in this. So this includes, you know, this goes back to 2006. So this included 2007 coming into 2008, that big, you know, rundown that that low made in 2009, that includes the the uh, uh, defects we had in 2011. So really, I mean, you have to be very much ignoring a lot of negativity right here in order to be getting long stocks. But for whatever reason, every time there's a minor dip, uh, there's just this massive wall of futures buying that begins first and then the cash market follows it up. I saw this pattern a lot in 2007. At that time, I thought that what was happening was somebody was trying to keep the market up when it clearly didn't want to be that high. That's kind of what it feels like. Because some, what I mean by that is, is when I see tens of thousands of, of S&P E-minis and other future contracts being bought right at the ask all at once, that's not really, um, you're not getting the best possible price in those contracts. So possibly there's some very complicated arbing things going on where they're long this, short that. But for whatever reason, this is the same behavior I saw in 2007. It was kind of maddening then. I think we're there. It feels the same to me. And it's a little bit weird that we don't have any larger discussion around this at this point. Chris, I, I don't know. I just look at my head every day, shake my head, and uh, the worst aspect of have is having to listen to all the people who don't understand history telling us that I told you so. <laughs> you know that the Fed is omnipotent. The Fed has our back. The Fed can do this. The Fed can do that. Uh, uh, when actual history shows that the Fed blows bubbles of increasing amplitude over time, we're back in a bubble when we start back to head the other way, when we start to correct this bubble, um, remains to be seen. Chris? Well, and each bubble, as it's larger, becomes more destructive when it finally does burst. And uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen when this one goes. It'll be pretty ugly. And that's something that's get that's driving me a little bit nuts here too. Is the whole idea that Bernanke is allowed to conduct? Uh, and I'm fond of saying this: he's not conducting just the largest monetary experiment ever, but it's a sociological experiment. At the finer granulations, we might say the social experiment is to see what happens when you punish savers. And and you know that drives me a little nuts because I'm of the mind that savings and investment are what are really the foundations of wealth and prosperity for a nation. And Bernanke's trying to see if we can prove that debt and consumption are actually the foundations of prosperity. And I think history is really clear on this, and that's why that's a little bit, little bit maddening to me. But yet, this is the game. This is where we are. Everybody's looking at it. I am personally really excited for this Wine Country Conference where we get to listen to some of the, I think, to me, the people who are most level-headed have, have some of the best data. This is a time, bubbles by definition are, uh, are sociological phenomenon, more so even than financial phenomenon, they, they, because you can take a bubble and analyze it, and it doesn't make sense. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So here, you know, 
Uh, for instance, seeing Spain's borrowing costs drop over the last eight months, even as everything that on a macro level that could possibly be going wrong for Spain has been going wrong over those same eight months is just is is just tells you that there is something fundamentally broken in that story. And maybe it's not a pure bubble because a pure bubble requires people to believe in it. Maybe that's a little bit of an ECB bubble. But nonetheless, you know, the, the, we have asset prices driven to all-time highs with bonds at all-time highs and stocks get at all-time highs. And we're supposed to believe that this is what's going to make everything better. And that's a belief system. It's not well supported in the data. That's right, Chris. Well, um, with that, I got to run. And I uh, look forward to meeting you at the conference, and uh, we're going to have a great time. And uh, I guess that's it. We'll catch you in seven. Fantastic. And we'll catch you at the conference. Absolutely. And anybody listening to this who's going to be there, can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great time, and I'm really looking forward to it. So we'll see you there, Mish. We'll see you. Thanks.